What's up, heroes? Today we've got Noah Lloyd, better known as Haterade, a full-time musician who made his name with his distinctive SoCal trap style, which has been played by Diplo, Skrillex, Carnage, Cruella, and more. He's been making music since he was 14 and is now directing his attention towards other genres of music through the music collective Greater Than. When he's not making music as Haterade for his 30,000 monthly listeners, he's making samples and beats for cymatics or teaching his private students about music production. In this episode, he talks about his early days hustling with a party bus, why geography doesn't matter, his favorite plugins, working for cymatics, his approach to sample organization, and the importance of humility and being a lifelong learner. You know, I, re I recognize that even though I did get some success in, you know, with those big DJs and big artists playing my music on festival stages that I still didn't know everything. There was still... But first, cue the intro music. This is the Producer Life Podcast with your host, The House Ninja. Bringing you actionable ideas to improve your music and get it heard. All right, Noah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you on the show. You are the first trap producer that we've had, and you've got some amazing music out there. Awesome. I'm, well, I uh, I really appreciate it. I I do love making trap music, and I'm glad to see that there are other people out there still making trap music, too. <laughs> so for somebody that isn't familiar with trap music, pretend you're talking to your you know long-lost aunt um, on an elevator. How How would you describe trap to her? Well, I would describe it as sort of like a marriage between hip hop and and house music. I think that's probably the most layman's terms, like in layman's terms, the the easiest way to describe it. It's just basically electronic music with sort of a trap or a or a hip hop drum set. Pretty much, that's okay. what I, that's really what it comes down to. And now there are so many little like offshoots and subsets of what trap is. It's sort of, it's I think it's the only genre of of dance music that can be produced at all tempos. Like you can make trap music that's a hundred BPM or you know one hundred and fifty BPM. Huh. Okay. I hadn't, uh, hadn't thought about that. I, I, I typically figured that it was more of a mid tempo, mid tempo genre, but uh, you say your, your music is characterized as SoCal trap music, or at least that's what I saw on one of your sites. What are some of the other offshoots? Well, SoCal trap music is well, I used to live in Southern California, so that's where, that's why I called it SoCal trap music, but it was just sort of my personal style on it. I, I'd say like, I, I wouldn't say that there's too many uh like i mean there's hybrid trap there's there's um the stuff that that party favor used to make like 100 bpm uh stuff um i mean it's i don't i can't i can't think of any of the specific names for the different types of trap but uh, there used to be festival trap where it was like an emphasis on um, just really big super saws like that was like in the beginning of like yo shoot that's like 2013 is when trap started popping off um but yeah i think as, as far as the different offshoots there's um yeah i'm not really sure if there's too many 
too many different names for them. Okay. All right. Well, take us take us back a little bit to your start in music. How did things take us back to your party bus days? <laughs> the party bus days. Oh man, you know about the party bus days. Okay. Well, I, I did my research. I uh, yeah. So I when I started when I started DJing, um, that was like that was in San Diego. I was just trying to. I was trying desperately to get a. Uh, on a lineup somewhere and the best way to i mean it's a a lesson even young producers and djs aspiring producers and djs can take now is like if you want to get on a lineup somewhere you have to sell tickets and whether that be with your music or because you hustle like it's got to be one or the other it's not people they don't you don't get handouts for uh for set times it usually at least anymore so mm-hmm. you got to have clout now or you got to have you know you got to be hounding everybody that you know to sell tickets so i would used i used to have to run these party buses from chula vista people if, who are familiar with san diego would know where this is is like south san diego run like fill them up from from all the people down there and drive them to downtown san diego in the gas lamp district and we would usually hit a club there and i would get some really terrible set time on a side stage for you know doing that it was extraordinarily stressful and i'm glad i don't ever have to do it again but it was a uh it was a good it was a good lesson in um in the in what it takes to run a party so i've always had empathy and understanding for club promoters whenever whenever they have me out to uh their venue it just i i know how tough it is to to throw parties yeah now were you working for a company that owned these party buses or were you actually renting a bus and filling it up with people and then bringing it to the club as sort of a way of incentivizing the promoters to to put you on stage so usually it started out with a promoter being like hey i'm going to throw a party and i I'm looking for for DJs and basically what that means is I'm looking for people to sell tickets to this thing so he would he would rent the buses the guy who who uh who was throwing the party he would front the money for the buses usually from the money usually with money from the last party and then those buses would come down to a meetup spot and I would be in charge of making sure that nobody gets on the bus that didn't pay for a ticket and they would, you know, they would come on the bus and we would drive them downtown. Um, I mean, that's that, that was the logistics of it, but, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever have to pay for the buses myself. Thankfully, I don't, I don't think I would do that anyways. It seemed like too much of a risk for me. I was more focused on just yeah. DJing. That's what I wanted to do. When, um, so what happened from there? You, you started off, uh, on the side stages and then, um, how, tell us about the genesis of Haterade. Well, I guess that, that, I mean, that's a perfect transition because I, um, on, do, on doing one of those shows, I met my, uh, my really good friend, Mike Kenny. He's, uh, he's a producer right now. He's, uh, I think he's in the middle of a rebrand right now, but he's, I mean, he's a fantastic producer. I met him and we started hanging out and, um, and I met him because he was a DJ as well on one of the lineups. So, uh, we just started hanging out together. And then, um, you know, I, we, I was trying to find, I was trying to network with other people and other producers and, you know, 
learn from them and produce with them as much as I could. And I was trying to, I was trying to find a, um, a happy medium between what Mike made and what I made it. Cause he was making progressive house and I was making a rudimentary form of dubstep at the time. And, um, we're just trying to make it, make it work. And then, uh, and then it, we discovered uh trap music what specifically anti-serum and mayhem back in yeah the 2000 early 2013 we're like oh this is sick we should try making something like this and we made this uh we made this one track i man i wish i i wish i had this song i wish i still had all of our early stuff but um i can't remember the title but we put it out and it was we just decided to put it under the artist name Haterade because that was a, one of the samples in the song and mm-hmm. it just stuck and we just kept making tunes and it just started to pick up steam from there. And that's, that's how, that's how we got started working together. Okay. And then how long were you guys together before you decided to part ways? Um, it was a few years. I, I think Mike, he didn't, he was getting, I think he was getting a little worn down by just producing hype music only just really high energy stuff. So he, he, I think he wanted to produce more chill and melodic. And I mean, that's what he's really good at. He's just a crazy good producer as far as melodies go. And um, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a great producer, but he, yeah, he, I think he just wanted to, to go in a different direction. And I mean, it was still cool. Like I, like I was literally just texting him like 10 minutes ago. So we're still buddies. Okay. Any, uh, any plans to uh, come back together for a reunion at some point? We, you know, we have put out a couple of tunes since we split, like uh, more recently I did a remix for another one of my friends, uh, uh, Marty Barrick. He's a, He's a, a great producer out of Los Angeles, and we, uh, him and I, did a drum and bass remix of uh, of one of his tunes. So that was uh, that was pretty fun. So we came together for that. Okay, all right. Um, was it? Uh, there's a lot of DJ duos out there. Is it a hard process to sort of disentwine your your work and your branding and that sort of thing, or was it you know just fairly easy to take your act separate. Um, well, I, I don't think, I think, well, he just sort of just left me with Haterade and started his new thing himself. Um, okay. He, I don't like, I'm apart from contacts, of course, like, and I've always like tried to continue to use whatever advantage the Haterade project has and, you know, give that to Mike, obviously, cause like he helped build it. But, um, I mean that yeah, it was it was just more of us as like a transfer, like hey, you just take it over now. I'm gonna do something else. Okay. Now, as as you were learning how to produce, um, it, it sounds like you were mostly self taught. Was that you know YouTube tutorials and working with other uh, producers, and was this sort of an all on the job training type thing, or did you have some experience with music prior to that? Uh, well, when I was a kid, I. I played the violin a lot and my parents, they, they, they made me play the violin and I hated it. I didn't enjoy that at all, (laughs) but I think that sort of set the foundation for me learning like, or understanding music a little bit. Um, 
I, I just didn't, yeah, I didn't really get to be creative with the violin. I think that's why I didn't really like it. So I started just making beats on my own um, with a demo version of Fruity Loops that I used for about a year and a half until somebody gave me a copy of Reason. Um, but uh, yeah, mostly self-taught until 2016. Um, I moved, uh, my wife and I moved up to Los Angeles so I could go to Icon Collective, which was my first time getting any, well, I guess it wasn't my first, because I, I took a couple of classes at community college, but like the, I did, like the stuff I learned there was just, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot, uh, wasn't a lot there. So Icon was definitely, it was more focused on what I wanted to learn, like uh, dance music centered and, um, and it was a great experience. I met a lot of great people and uh, I learned a lot from that experience. Okay. I, I thought it was interesting because you had already been producing, you know, successfully for several years when you chose to go back to school at Icon. I think by that point, you know, some of your tracks had already been, already been played by Diplo, Skrillex, Carnage, Cruella, and then you went back to school. Do I, is that timeline right? That is correct. So that, uh, to me, that's pretty mind blowing. Cause I think for many producers, you know, if, if, their music had been played by those top artists on big sound systems at festivals, you know, they'd feel like, all right, well, I've, I've made it, you know, I, I have a good knowledge of this. I can do this. I don't necessarily need any formal schooling at this point. I can learn from other producers and, and move on from there, but you actually chose to go back and get some formal schooling. Can you talk me through that thought process and, and maybe what you took away from ICOM that you didn't feel like you could get from other producers? Well, I, I think that if you start, if you start to approach your life as if you already have all the answers, then you're kind of in bad shape. You know, I, re I recognize that even though I did get some success in, you know, with those big DJs and big artists playing my music on festival stages that I still didn't know everything. There was still serious holes in my production game and i think there still are i think i'm still working on improving i'm constantly trying to get better uh, and i and i felt that that icon was a great opportunity um you know initially i didn't even want to go it was my my friend kind of talked me into it um i didn't want i didn't i didn't want to go there to uh to move to la because i really like san diego but um you know, after thinking about it, like, man, you know, what? I could really benefit from some more education and, and, and just meeting some more people. You know, it was a, we, my wife and I ended up moving back to San Diego before we transitioned to uh, Nashville. Um, but, but yeah, like I, I mean, it's, it's, it's always, a, it's always a good mindset to have is all you always want to be learning, you know, the minute you start thinking that you, that you know, everything is you're, you're in bad shape. So you know, trying to, trying to stay humble and hungry and learning constantly. You know, I try to, I can, I learn stuff from the, my students that I teach sometimes, sometimes they have a, a different way of doing things. And, you know, and I think that's, you know, it's, it's essential to being a human being is understanding that you don't know everything. Yeah. So. That's that attitude of humility, I think is really important. I can see some people thinking about 
sort of the structured classes that Icon and some of the other big music schools have feeling like, all right, well, there's only certain skill sets that I really want to focus on. Maybe I need help with my mixing or my sound design or something like that. And sort of the structured curriculum that a lot of these places maybe require would force me to take things that I don't really feel like I need. Did did you go through a sort of a structured curriculum and did you feel like everything was equally applicable or were there some courses that you had to take that were like, yeah, I already know this stuff? Um, there was obviously some stuff where I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of already know how to do this. And they kind of, they make you go through a application process. Like you can't, not just anybody gets into icon. You have to have like submit your music and you have to write an essay and you have to be interviewed. And they, they want you to have a, a good sense of why you're in the music industry to begin with. But, um, yeah, as far as like as far as like times where I'm like, oh man, this sucks. I, I already know this. Like I, I didn't, I didn't really feel that too much. Whenever there was stuff that I already knew, I, I usually was. It was just really brief, and I found out other stuff that I didn't know. You know that there's always like that. There's that like that circle of information that you know and then outside that circle is the stuff that you know that you don't know and then outside of that is the stuff that you don't even know that you don't know so <laughs> you know like i i want to i was going into school i knew that there was a lot of the stuff that i didn't even know that i didn't know so i was sort of having that you know that experience of like oh man i might learn something brand new today that i didn't expect to learn like i i learned how to uh route a patch bay in the studio which is something that i probably will never use in my in my career but um it was something new it was something that i learned and i had to be tested on and you know um it was it was a good it was a good learning experience and then also i mean we did have we did have mentor sessions where we'd meet with a pro producer uh, once a week to sort of get that custom tailored stuff. And I mean, I, I wouldn't say that icon is for everybody either. You know, like you gotta, you gotta have the right mindset and you gotta really, really know that you want to be a career producer in the dance music industry in order to go there. I think, um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you spend all that money to go there, you should really, really want to be there. Um, I think, I mean, right for, for younger producers who are just getting started, YouTube is a great resource, but I mean, there the value of having a pro tutor is it can't be understated either. You know, being able to ask some really specific poignant questions on your specific song is is I mean, it's pretty valuable, I think. Okay, great. Um you mentioned that you moved from California to Nashville. Now, when I think of the electronic music scene, you know, California definitely jumps to mind, but Nashville, not so much. Can what what drove that decision to move to Nashville? Well, I didn't really think that I would need to be around all of the music hubs, anyways. Like as far as like electronic music goes, like I have been, I've actually been writing a lot of pop music as of late. Um, hmm. which has been an opportunity that has opened itself up just dramatically since I moved here to Nashville. Um, I moved, I, I essentially moved to Nashville cause it was just so much cheaper. We moved right before COVID-19 sort of shut the entire world down. 
so it was yeah we got here in the at the very end of december of 2019 so january 2020 we were here in nashville and then the one month later we get covid19 so um i mean as far as as far as the decision to move here and and right for music it was i i knew that i could make all of the the necessary connections online which is when where most of that stuff happens anyways right now and two like i've i've sort of entered a new chapter in my life where i i don't want to be touring as much i want to be sort of at home with my my wife and my dog and you know we want to you know start thinking about family soon so like having that structure nine to five you know not working on the weekends which is something that i institute for myself uh right now apart from uh, saturday saturday mornings i do a little work but um yeah i mean it's it, you don't really need to live in a dance music hub to even get ahead nowadays it's all done online people really only care about your online persona anyways it's it's rare that you're going to meet a make a real impactful connection you know in person i went to this uh this great uh show that they did every single week in in la called space yacht i don't know if you're familiar if you heard of it but it uh no. it was it was a free show that they would they would have basically it would it would sell out well, you know quote unquote sell out because it was a free show but it would be at capacity every single tuesday and without anybody on the lineup like they it would just be it would just be mystery people but like you like they've had all kinds of huge huge djs roll through so you would think it would be a great spot to network but i never really made any real connections there it was all through you know the big connections were just through email or social media okay now when you moved to nashville and and you said you've started to work with some pop um is is that part of the greater than production collective with uh zach jablo yeah yeah that's uh that was something that we had talked about over the summer and um yeah zach and i we 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 were producing we were producing a little bit together here and there and then we sort of just decided like hey we should probably try to form a team here and work on this uh you know systematically and it's been really cool so far. We haven't been at it for too long. It's just only probably about four months now. But I mean, shoot, we probably have something like 50 songs finished. So, I mean, the output has been crazy. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And you, you it sounds like um, from the interview I did with Zach, which will be out by the time this interview comes out, you know, you guys have had some big name clients and, and uh, done done some really great work. We uh, yeah we Zach definitely has the client list. I I haven't worked with uh, as many big names as he has, but um, I mean we definitely have been putting together some heaters lately, like some really good music. So I'm I'm excited to see what this this holds. Like this is this is sort of where I want my future to be. You know, when I'm 50, I want to be still doing this. So um, this is probably the best route for that. You know, I, there aren't too many Armin Van Buren's or tiestos that are touring well into their 40s so um you know i want to sort of hedge my bets a little bit sure so have you found that your production process let's kind of dig into the 
the nuts and bolts there. Have you, have you found that the production process differs between making trap versus making pop? Are you finding yourself reaching for the same scents and just maybe a little different template setup, or uh, what does the process look like? Well, it's a lot faster. I'll tell you that much. It's so much easier to make pop music because it's just there's just not not a whole lot to it. You know, there's there are so many little things when you're making dance music because the entire focus is on the the instrumental, right? So it's like it's got to be dialed in tight. It's got to be loud. It's got to be clear. So that takes a lot more effort and a lot more work to uh, to get right. I, at least in my in, in my experience so like when i'm making pop music it's it's usually just starting with the if you get a good chord progression a good melody it, it all just sort of falls together and and you got to have good a good sample uh library but that i mean i've sort of been organizing that and refining that process through i mean the past few years we could talk about that later the the my emphasis on organization and system systemizing everything is is pretty is pretty extensive but um yeah as far as my template goes like i didn't have to make too many uh too many new changes to the template i um uh i work a lot with another producer uh his name's 10k 10k sound now uh him he and i we work we work together every saturday morning work on and we usually finish two songs on saturdays and um so we we've sort of we sort of have a unified template where we're making iterations and sharing that same template because we pass projects back and forth so frequently. Wow. Two songs in one morning session. Uh, yeah. In, a, in about four hours, we can, we can crank out two, two tracks. Uh, and which, I mean, it just goes to show the, that pop music is, it's not really, doesn't really take an, like a whole ton uh, to, to get, to get down and get sounding good. Now, are these just the instrumental pieces and then you have somebody else do a top line or is this you starting with a top line and then writing to the top line? Uh, sometimes we have a top line. We work with this really great vocalist. Named, his name's Nate Gott and he is amazing. He's so good. Usually, usually Nate will, will pass it off to Nate. Like we're, yeah, we're just, we're not, we're not record, we're not cutting vocals and mixing vocals and ma- mixing and mastering the whole thing. That would be crazy to do two of those in four hours but um yeah yeah passing it we just we get the instrumentals done like as mixed as as we get the mixes but as about close to done as we can and then we'll pass it off to nate and if he's feeling it then we'll we'll he'll cut a vocal to it and then we'll then i'll remix it again and then we'll put it in the uh the dropbox for the you know for the catalog or if he's not really feeling it, we'll just put we'll key key label it BPM genre and uh, working title and just throw it in the catalog at, under a, a an instrumental that we can pitch to a major label and hopefully get a big time artist to pick it up. Are, are you guys looking at um, sync licensing as well with Zach and um, his organization, or are you guys going that direction? Oh yeah, big time. That's that's okay. essentially what we want to do is just be this machine that churns out uh just really great music for both sync and for artists, artist projects. So it like it helps to keeps uh, it keeps us fresh and 
and on our toes because we're always working on something different, but also, you know, working on improving at the same time. And, you know, because maintaining that label standard, which is, you know, really high, really high standard. Sync stuff isn't like they don't really have as high standards as, you know, labels and other artists do. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just good to keep the, like getting getting our reps in consistently that's that's been the biggest benefit of this whole process i think okay we kind of started the conversation with trap music and and let me back up just a little bit to sort of recent history with your your game day mixtape i was listening to a lot of your music on spotify and one of the things that struck me about that mixtape is how short your tracks were um you had 10 tracks and six of them were two minutes or less in length and all of them were under three minutes. Was that a deliberate decision because you were trying to play to the Spotify algorithms or just you wanted to do something a little different? Well, if you listen to that, uh, that mixtape uh, start to finish without ever skipping, you'll know that it, it will play like an entire mix. So I didn't, I made it so, so it's like a DJ set that's split into segments sort of ah. and, i mean usually you wouldn't hear an entire song front to back in a dj set so um i mean the it the the idea sort of spawned from my beat a day challenge which i do every january where i'll make a new piece of music every day in the month of january and post it to social media uh, for everybody to listen to and then at the end i sort of go through and find all the ones that i think are good and then I'll finish those. And this one was sort of like, okay, well maybe I don't like finish them all the way to completion. Maybe I just finish them halfway and make a bunch of other ones that sort of connect them all together and make this mixtape. And it, uh, it turned out, it turned out pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it. That, that first track in there was my favorite. And I, I, uh, I really, I really, really dig that one. Okay. I, I am a little ashamed to say that I don't have Spotify premium, so I keep getting the ads interrupting the listening experience. And so um, I, I, I didn't catch that it was meant to be a seamless uh, mixtape, not when I've got all the uh, ads interrupting it. So Yeah, that must, that must be frustrating. Yeah, I, I need to just break down and pay for Spotify. So one of the other things that, that jumped out at me about your tracks, because I'm I'm kind of a sci-fi geek myself, is you, you have a real um, love for Stranger Things. You've got two different um, tracks out there, one on SoundCloud and one on Spotify, that are sort of Stranger Things inspired. Can can you talk to me about those tracks and sort of their genesis? Yeah. Um, well, the first one was it was when I was in Icon, I made that one, and I was like I. I was just watching stranger things. Uh, my wife and I, we were put it on Netflix and I was listening to the theme song. I was like, Holy cow, this theme song is awesome. And I was like, okay, well I gotta, I gotta make a remix of this. So I just, I made a quick one and just decided to put it up and I mean, it caught a lot of plays. I was really, I was really surprised about that. Um, and I, and I just, I didn't really think of anything of it at, until later on uh, when season three was about to come out. And I was like, you know what I could do, I could do another remix of the theme song uh and and i could probably do it better you know i've I've gotten a lot better and i've got a new i've got somewhat new tastes i should i should just give it a try and i um and i did i put it out on um i put it out on soundcloud when uh 
right when the the season premiered and i was like okay cool it's out and then uh trap nation they hit me up and were like hey we want to release this on our label uh all you need to do is just take out the the uh the vocal because i initially had a vocal of 11 from the from the show saying friends don't lie but that obviously couldn't be put on spotify so i had to go in like you the vocal that's on there now is me so <laughs> uh so i had to go back in and re-record it myself but it's so then we could we could uh submit it through distribution as a cover so it's essentially a cover song uh but uh but yeah i was like i was thinking about it uh I mean, it's to this day, it's one of my favorite productions that I'm I'm most proud of as far as like just depth and balance. It just it just came together so so perfectly. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm probably gonna do when season four comes out. I'll probably do another one. I, I was just thinking it's about time for another. Yeah. Now you moved from um, Fruity Loops to Logic to Ableton. Is that is that the progression? That is. Correct. So I yeah, I started with the demo version of FL Studio and then moved to Reason. Um I I don't even remember where I got that one, but I remember that it was like it was diff I bought it from somebody who had definitely pirated it. So I paid <laughs> I paid for a pirated version of of Oh Reason. man. Um uh but but yeah, so like after a few years, then uh, that Mike, he was actually he was actually the one who told me like, dude, you got to stop using Reason and start using Ableton. And and I think it was uh, the because Reason at the time didn't allow you to use third party plugins. It was all oh, wow. in house stuff. So I I I was drawn by the glow of Native Instruments Massive. So. That's what pulled, that's what initially pulled me to uh, to Ableton, and I'm so glad that I moved to Ableton because if I was still using Reason today, I don't. Well, I mean, I I don't know. There's some producers that get get some really cool stuff out of out of Reason, but I don't know that I would have been able to do that. I'm I'm really really glad to be in Ableton. Are there any things you miss about uh, Reason or FL Studio? I mean, it's been so long since I've used either of them. Like, it's been well over 10 years, I would okay. say. Like, I mean, shoot. So, uh, well, maybe not quite. Maybe nine years. It's been a long time since I've made a track in in uh, Reason. And it's been even longer since I've made one in, in FL. Uh, I, I went back and I, I was watching one of my friends produce in FL. And it just... it it's so weird how the automation clips can just be anywhere. I don't understand that. I don't understand how the automation for one thing could be on another channel, but it could be like, it was just super bizarre. But, uh, hmm. but I mean, yeah, like it's, I, I loved the interface of reason, like with the rack and the routing stuff back there, it looked cool, but it doesn't. Uh, yeah. It, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad to be in, in Ableton. Yeah, are you going to make the jump to Live Eleven? Oh, you know it. I, I got. I'm on the beta team, so I've been I've been <laughs> using it for uh, for the past uh, month month or so. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I, I just got picked up for the uh, beta team as well recently, and uh, I, I got to say, some of the little changes are my favorites, like the ability to filter your piano roll by key. That was huge for me because I, I always have to look up the notes in a particular key register. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I was like, I was using Ableton 10 today because the, uh, because my, uh, 
my friend that I work with, Adam 10K, he uh, he doesn't he's not on the beta team, so I use Ableton 10 when we're working on projects that we're going to share back and forth. And I was really missing that feature. I was like, man, I really wish I had that feature because I, I could use it right now. <laughs> what are some of your other favorite features in Live 11? Um, I really like the hybrid reverb. I think that's such it's such a cool function, and I, it such it sounds so much better than the the regular reverb. Um, I also like the, um, how the, the grid lines are a little darker. I know that's like a mm -hmm. small quality of life thing, but I, it's, it, I definitely like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I'm just glad that everything is improving and moving in the right direction. And there's nothing that's game breaking for me in, in this yeah. update, you know, they didn't take away anything that, um, you know, that I could, that I've been using a lot. You mentioned um, that originally you were drawn to Ableton because of the third-party VSTs. So aside from Massive, what would you say are your go-to VSTs? Well, I don't use Massive anymore. I, uh, I, I use Serum all the time. I think that's by far my number one used plugin. Um, I also use Little Alter Boy from uh, Sound Toys. That thing is so sick on vocals, especially when I'm doing pop hmm. stuff. So like... Uh, yeah, the sound toy stuff is great. Um, what is what is Little Alter Boys? Is it a echo reverb delay type plugin, or what does it do? It's a formant shifter, so you can make okay. a vocal sound like it's pitched down without actually altering the pitch. It just shapes the formants to make it sound like it's pitched down. Um, huh. It's just, it's really cool. I would I would highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, like I mean, as far as third party stuff, it's kind of funny because I moved to ableton for the third party stuff but you know since i moved to moved here to ableton i use the stock stuff so much <laughs> um uh, i i just recently got this plugin called Golfoss, which is uh -huh. so sick for the master like it's it's like a sort of like a dynamic eq sort of thing where it just sort of makes an eq curve that dynamically shifts based on input information so um I mean, I would highly recommend checking that one out too. I would, I'd wait to, for a sale though, because it's kind of expensive. Yeah. Um, Richard Wang, Sixth Street Music was on a while back and he mentioned Golfoss. And then he also plugged uh, Soothe 2, which I picked up on <gasps> Black Friday, uh, which, big I, one. which I really like. It's great. Soothe 2 is fantastic. Uh, pro tip if you're working with vocals, use the sidechain mode and drop soothe on your synth group so your synths will be ducked out by your vocal when it comes in it's a really easy sort of a band-aid fix for mixing in your vocals i'm sorry i explain that one more time for me sure so you have a let's say you got your you got your synth group that's like maybe it's got some chords maybe it's got an arp maybe mm -hmm. it's got a a lead whatever whatever is in your synth group and you've got a vocal that's sitting on top, but maybe it's like you, it's either it's getting buried by the, your instrumentation. Well, if you want to mix it in to mix that vocal into your synths, just drop a soothe on your synth group and then switch it to sidechain mode and then route the input into soothe from your vocals. So whenever your vocal comes in, it will automatically duck those frequencies out of your synth group so it Got meshes it. in a little bit nicer with uh uh 
in the mix. Like you don't have to make a bunch of EQ decisions because Sooth is doing it for you. Got it. There's there's another uh, plugin out there that I've used called Track Spacer that that is made yeah, for that thing. sort of thing. But um, that's that's an interesting use for Sooth too. I hadn't thought about that. I'll have to give that a try and see see how that compares to doing it with Track Spacer. Let's see here. So you're you're kind of it sounds like you're you're transitioning a little bit from sort of the focus on touring and trap to more of the um, stable pop producer type role. Um, I, I noticed you are also out there. You're doing a little bit of freelance work on Sound Better. How how is that going? I you know I don't I don't do as much work on Sound Better anymore. I've been working with this other company out of the UK called the Online Recording Studio. Where they sort of do it's it's sort of the same thing as Sound Better, but more, um, you know, like the it's more of like top of funnel business model where the all the clients come in and then they get assigned to a producer. So I've been doing it. I've been doing that more often. Like uh, Sound Better, just it got too challenging for me. Like working with clients on Sound Better, they, you know, usually you get people who don't want to, who don't really value the work and they don't want to you know, they want unlimited revisions and, you know, just, just unlimited access to your time. And that's just not okay with me. Um, so I haven't been, I haven't been really doing a whole bunch with sound better as of late. I mean, it's a great platform. Mm -hmm. I don't want to like trash them or anything. There are some people who are killing it on sound better. Just, it just didn't work for me. Okay. So it's, it's maybe a, uh, I hesitate to say higher, higher caliber clientele, uh, maybe. At least the the people that I was running into, um, they were just it was just too many difficult clients. Like I haven't okay. had I haven't had as much difficulty elsewhere. Um, but I think it's just because of the accessibility. You know, it's just easy to go on sound better. I mean, sure, I'm I'm sure if I was doing the same thing on Fiverr, uh, it would be even worse. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's just a matter of. I guess accessibility, like going through the process, jumping through the hoops, sort of weeds out the people who aren't really serious and people who are really committed. Cause those are the best clients, the people who are really committed to their music and really want to, uh, you know, invest in themselves and hire a pro to help them do that. And, you know, and I, and I, and I love helping people who are trying to help themselves. So it just makes, it makes every, everything better. Yeah. I had a, um, top seller on Fiverr, a vocalist, Sandra Bullitt, on a little while ago. And uh, she, a chunk of our conversation revolved around working with difficult clients. So that that sounds like that is sort of a common story on, on some of these platforms. You have to be able to work with difficult people sometimes. Let's see here. Somewhere as I was reading up on you, or maybe it was in one of your interviews recently, you talked about also working with Cymatics. What is that like? Uh, working with cymatics has been such a great experience for me as i mean because they were sort of the catalyst to allow me to to go full-time in music you know when i was okay. i just graduated from icon when they reached out to me to to join their production team and this is like granted when they were way more edm focused they're not really so much edm focused anymore but uh but yeah like i i I have learned so much about drum production just by just by making so many freaking samples. Like I I must have I must have made I mean I don't I don't maybe 
I don't want to. I don't want to guess. I don't like. I don't. I've made a ton of samples for Cymatics, but it's it's been it's been great. It's just another piece of the pie for me, and um, you know, like uh, uh, being a being a part of these really big product launches and hearing my my samples in the packs too, which is is really cool. How did how did that connection originally happen? Do they have a working relationship with Icon, or did they find you through SoundCloud, or do you know? You know, I never really asked them. They, I just got an email one day from Steven, the, uh, the, one of the founders of Cymatics. He's like, Hey man, I love your music. I would love, love for you uh, to join our production team. And I was like, Oh, okay. Sick. You want me to be on the production team? Okay. That's cool. I'll, I'll give it a try. And I, I just started doing it and I was like, I was hooked. It was just, it, it was sort of like I found a cheat code. It was like, I'm making music and I'm making a living. This is awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, Win. yeah, it was like, this is what I've been working towards my entire, my entire career. You know, I've spent so many years not getting paid and now it's, uh, now it's the real deal. Yeah. Do you, um, how does, I mean, is that your sort of your full-time job with Cymatics or is that like a 50% of, of what you're working on or, how much of your time is spent with some addicts projects versus your other production? That's probably like 30, 40% of uh, maybe even 40% is too much. I'd say, yeah, 30 to 35% of what I do is for is cymatics. Like the, then there's like, you know, probably th- another 20% for the tour stuff. And then, uh, working on the sync stuff and the label pitching stuff and then doing stuff for my artist project, um, and then doing one-on-one lessons. I do that. I, I love doing that. Um, that's another piece of the pie. So there's like, there's like, I, you gotta, in music, if you want to go full-time with this, you've got to have a diversified income stream. Otherwise, I mean, there's going to be come a time where it all dries up. There's a lot of guys out there who were relying solely on touring until now. And they are, yeah. you know, forced to sort of figure out another way to do that. So you know, thankfully through the pandemic, my, you know, I, I wasn't in dire straits cause I, you know, had other options, which has been a blessing. Talk to me about a, a, an average work week. What, um, how do you spend your time most days? You said you take the weekends off, uh, to spend for family time, except for, uh, Saturday mornings, but what does your usual work week look like? My usual work week, I, I'm an early riser. So I'm up at 4 30 AM every day. Um, I take my dog outside and I usually sit down for a, you know, 20 minutes of meditation. Um, then I'll do a devotional, um, and make the morning coffee for my wife and I, and usually I'll get a little bit of work in whether it's, uh, I usually try to do stick with creative stuff in the morning, like working on, you know, my artist project or, um, working on the sync stuff or that that sort of thing. I would usually do that in the mornings if I can. And then um and then my wife usually wakes up and then we will have coffee together and then she'll she'll go off to to work and then I'll work on um usually working on tour stuff at that time because like a lot of the clients I deal with or or you know most of the people are from the UK who we who we work with over there. So they're way further ahead. So I'll usually take calls from them and work on that sort of stuff. And then um, later in the afternoon is when like 
my brain power starts to power down a little bit more. So then I can start to, then I can do more work that just takes a little bit extra time. And that's usually making samples or presets or that sort of thing. And then, um, then winding down further is when I usually, I usually have my lessons at the end of the day. Um, but mostly because mostly because I don't want to be working past 5 PM. You know, I want to be available when my wife gets home and, um, and yeah, so I'll usually have the lessons at the end of the day. So that's usually, that's usually my, what my work, typical work day looks like. When you're producing for other people, do you find yourself reaching for samples you've produced in cymatics or do you deliberately avoid those? Oh, I'll use anything, anything to help the track. Like if, okay. if I think it'll make the track better, then I will use it. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, most of the time. Most of the time, I'll like I have like a whole. Uh, I've used the collections tab a ton in my uh, in my workflow. I I have a bunch of melody loops, tons of drum loops. I use like like a bunch of rotating percussion loops and process them just a little differently on different tracks, just because some of them just work. They I need one thing. I need this to do this. I know exactly what type of sample I need for that and where to find it. So I um, I don't really like sort of prioritize my own samples over other people's it's just whatever whatever works okay you 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 alluded to your sample organization process what do you how do you organize your samples so that you can find what you need when you need it uh well i will do it once a quarter i'll sit down and go through all of the all the new packs that i got uh usually like whenever we do a new product launch I'll get the cymatics pack and then I'll, you know, uh, sort of go through that and find all my favorite samples. And then I'll throw them in a few different of those categories. So I have kicks, snares, uh, synths, vocals, effects, and then miscellaneous loops and, and percussion hits. So I'll, I'll go through each pack and then I all, I also go on splice weekly just to use up my credits. Um, and, <laughs> and find i mean people don't know how much of a blessing splice is it is so amazing that back in the day we had to torrent sample packs which i mean a lot of people did but it, it, like either that or you had to spend 50 bucks to buy a sample pack that maybe you would get 11 or 12 samples that were really good out of you know yeah. now we pay $8 a month and we can we can get 150 specially curated samples exactly what we want whenever we need them and to be able to sort by key and bpm it's amazing so i make i take full utilization of splice and i'll raid splice every week and and those samples would go get organized the best of the best of those ones get organized into my collections tab so um I'm usually like there I usually turn over every quarter where I'll go through and be like okay I don't use that one as very much I don't use that one I don't use that one I don't use that one and then I'll and I'll keep the ones I use a lot and then add the new ones in so it's a constant like sort of a uh you know updating the updating the new the new sounds that I have essentially so I'm tr trying to keep keep it fresh yeah you sound very meticulous about that. I do my best. I like I I think that it's it 
so many people waste so much time when they need a sample, they go through their sample library and they just keep flipping and flipping through folder after folder after folder just to find a kick sample. I sort of try to do all that work ahead of time. So I don't even have to really think about it. Like I'm in the project, like let's get this track done. Cause I mean, really the best songs are made really quickly. I mean, I'm sure yeah. that every single person who makes music can attest to that. Like if you can make music fast, it's usually going to turn out pretty good. Yeah, when you're in that flow state. Exactly. And uh, the, the there's nothing more that can take you out of the flow state than just digging through files looking for the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you ever tried Loop Cloud and their organizer? I haven't. So I used Splice for three or four years, and then I changed to Loop Cloud last year because the, the frustrating thing for me about Splice was – I would download 10 or 20 samples that I think would sound good in a particular track. And then I would put them in and I would try them and maybe one or two would work. The the killer feature for me for Loop Cloud, you know, they sell samples just like everybody else does, but they've got a installable program that's a VST that will scan your library, organize everything, tag it, and then you drop the VST into Ableton and it will let you audition samples in the mix so it just dramatically sped up my workflow where I can search for kick drums in F minor and I can just click through them all and listen to them in the mix. Um, so even if you're not paying for Loop Cloud, you can still download their organizer and try it out. So I, I highly recommend that as a former Sl- Splice user. This seems like something I would most certainly be interested in. I am going to look into this. Yeah, Loop Cloud. I'll I'll shoot you a link after the episode. So, um, one more question about semantics. I know uh, you guys just launched your first plugin, and I saw you did a YouTube review on it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Diablo? Yeah, it was well. It, it was I would didn't have any hand in the development of the plugin. Just to be clear, I I kind of just found out about it one day where they're like, "Hey, we got a plugin we've made. We need you to make some presets for it." I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> I mean, and I sort of, it's, it was really, it's really, really powerful for how much it costs. Like, I know I sound like I'm like sitting here, like advertising, like you should try it out. It's really cool, but it's, it really is really good. It's, I, I especially if it's like throwing it on your drum bus too, like mm-hmm. in, in, like as a replacement for drum bus in Ableton, it's, I mean, it's awesome. Um, I mean, like, yeah, I there's not much more to say about it than that. I mean, I, I've been having a lot of fun with it. And the, even the free version, Diablo Lite, was, it's, it's, I mean, you get it for free. It's awesome. It's a great soft clipper. Yeah, yeah, it uh, looks pretty cool. I downloaded the free version. I haven't haven't uh, made the leap to the paid version yet, but I've been playing around with it. So let's see here. You've, you've mentioned your wife multiple times throughout the uh, podcast. Do you, if, if this is too personal, just let me know. But are you guys planning kids one day? Oh, you betcha. Yep. That is that is part of the plans. We just celebrated our five-year anniversary on Saturday. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we we definitely have plans to start a family here. That's it. That is that is in our our vision for the future. And you know, it's a uh it's I mean it's a big undertaking, but I think I mean it's if it, like everybody has done it, so we could do it. So we're gonna do it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little scary. There's there's no user manual, but you'll you'll figure it out. And <clears throat> sounds like after five years, you guys are 
you know, you know, you know what you're getting into. And, and that's the important thing that you've got a good partner. As you're thinking back about your uh, DJ career and your, your touring and uh, your production, do you have any stories in mind that you're looking forward to telling your kids one day? <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Um, stories from touring. Um, that I tell my kids. Well, I don't. I don't think they will. They would really care to hear about that time. Dad went to go DJ in Minneapolis. You know, like I don't. <laughs> I, maybe I maybe I would tell them about the. I'd tell them about the times where it was just really tough. Like. I mean, Cause there were times like where, or I guess I would tell them about the, uh, the festival in Kansas city where it was like, yeah, it was, it had rained and stormed all the night before. And it was just a muddy mess. That was, uh, uh, at, at dance Festopia in Kansas city. But that was a great time. Cause that was my first festival ever. And I got to play the main stage and, um, oh, wow. yeah, that was, that was a great time. That was that was a good time. I mean, yeah, if my kids want are interested and they want to ask me about what how it was playing shows out out you know, out of town, I I'll happily oblige them, but I don't know. I'm not really like you know, really wanting to talk to them or tell them about all the touring times. <laughs> okay. I, I was just wondering if you had any particular stories that you remember fondly that you were looking forward to telling them one day. So well, aside from maybe kids in, in the music field, what's what's next for you? What are your plans for the uh, post-pandemic era? Well, I'm going hard on the Productive Producer YouTube channel. Um, it's It's been something that I have been doing for the past year, and I really want to just keep keep going with that. I think that if I can keep, keep that going, I think I could help a lot of people with uh, – with that YouTube channel. There's like, there's so much good content on, on YouTube. You know, I feel like sometimes I, uh, I feel like, man, like, am I just adding to the noise here? But I, I also have to remember that I have a, I have a perspective that nobody else has on YouTube. So I get to, I get to add in my, my sort of style, my flair to YouTube. And that's where, that's what I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how that grows over time and, you know, just continuing with, um, with producing, producing this pop music stuff too. This has been really, really cool. I've been, it's been such a great learning experience for me and I've got a couple of uh, really tight haterade tunes too, that I'm probably going to drop here soon. So got to find a home for those. And uh, yeah, I mean, as far as, as far as what's next, I've, I'm really, I'm really, yeah, I think the the biggest thing is the productive producer right now. I really want to double down on that and help out as many people as I possibly can. Okay. Well, I, I will make sure to include a link in the show notes. And aside from the YouTube channel, where can people find you online? Uh, well, I, you know, I don't really use social media all that much anymore. I try to stay away from social media. Uh, I just don't, I don't like the I don't like their practices that these companies and, you know, just trying to get us addicted to their products. Um, I don't mean to make that sound like a, like I'm preaching <laughs> anybody, but you know, like, it's just like, as far as like getting a hold of me, like I check my YouTube comments every single morning. Like it, I, cause I don't want to miss anybody's question or, um, or 
comment or concern. So um, okay. you can always, I mean, you can always shoot me a message on, on Instagram stuff. Like I, I check in every once in a while just to, you know, either, uh, you know, make a post or, or something, but I'm not going to be on there very frequently. So if you want to, if you want to get a hold of me quick, um, you could, yeah, comment on one of my YouTube videos. Okay, perfect. Well, I will, uh, again, include that link in the show notes and, uh, I really appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for having me, man. This was a great conversation. Well, thanks. I enjoyed it too. And I uh, hope you have a terrific week. You too, man. I'll talk to you later. Here are my key takeaways from the episode. First, if you're just getting started, expect things to be hard. You're going to have to hustle. And to get line on the lineup, you're going to have to be able to sell tickets. In this case, that meant he spent time driving a party bus and playing poor time slots on the side stages. Everybody goes through it. Second, stay humble, no matter how good your music is. Be a lifelong learner. Noah actually went back to school at Icon even after some of the biggest DJs out there were playing his tracks. Third, don't worry if you're not in a major music hub like New York, LA, or Atlanta. It doesn't matter today. Online networking and collaboration works. Fourth, some of his favorite plugins include Serum, Little Alter Boy, Gulfoss, Soothe2, and Diablo. He also mentioned a trick using Soothe 2 in sidechain mode to help make space in your mix for your vocals. Fifth, keep your samples organized. He sets time aside quarterly to go through all of his new sample packs and pull out his favorite samples and then organize them by kicks, snares, synths, vocals, effects, and miscellaneous loops and percussion. While he's doing this, he also gets rid of older samples that he isn't using much. Six, figure out when you're most creative and productive and set time aside for your music. He's an early morning person, but the key is to figure out what works best for you and your circumstances. Seventh, make sure you've got multiple streams of income as a musician. Don't become overly reliant on any one, like touring. Finally, if you want to learn more about his approach to making music, the best place is his YouTube channel, The Productive Producer. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Also, I've started a Producer Life podcast playlist on Spotify featuring some of my favorite tracks from artists who have appeared here. So please subscribe and share that with a friend too. I'll have links for everything in the show notes. Until next week, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. (laughs) 